0: Hello and welcome to the February DCM podcast. My name is Tom Lanet as always and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. For this month's podcast I've gone media agency side once again after chatting with a few exhibitors over the last few months and I've gone right to the top of one of the UK's most successful media agencies. I'm joined by Grant Miller, Chief Client Officer of Zenith OptiMedia. Hello Grant. Hello. How are you? Really well. Uh, Grant has had a long and varied career in media and advertising, and do stop me if I get any of this wrong, including roles such as Head of Planning and Media at BT, Managing Director of Visium, Global Brand Director at Cara, uh, CEO at Zenith OptiMedia, and now his role as CCO at Zenith. He's also a big fan of My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, which is usually an indicator of a well-rounded, thoughtful individual. And as well as being hugely successful in the media and advertising industry, Grant is also a huge film fan. So, Grant, we spoke spoke about this just before I pressed record. What have you seen recently?
1: Well, can I stop you there, Tom? Because you've forgotten a very important part of my career, which is I spent a lot of my formative years working in a video shop.
0: Blockbuster video?
1: No, not Blockbuster. It was a small independent video shop, and um, that's where I developed a very, very large VHS, or straight-to-VHS, B-movie collection.
0: And do you still have that collection? I
1: do, somewhere in the loft.
0: So do you still have a video recorder? This I do, but it doesn't
1: work. I've got to mend it. I need to, I need to, actually, I need to get on eBay and get, get one that works because I need to dig some of those films out and poison my children's minds with them.
0: I do have a large number of D, uh, videos in my loft as well. And I always think it's sad because I see stuff on DVD and I'm always like, I, should I buy that? And then I don't because <laughs> I've got it on video and then I'm never going to watch it on video. But have you, are you replacing them all on uh, DVD or online? Not really
1: consciously. I think because I've got three older children, so my youngest is now 17, so I feel that we can watch a lot of the more challenging stuff that I was into when I was his age now.
0: What's the pick of the collection?
1: Oh, well, do you know what? My, my oldest son, is 21, um, asked me about a film called Blue Velvet, which just happens to be in my top three of all-time movies. Mm.
0: Um, Recently had a re-release at the cinema.
1: I know. Unfortunately, I didn't see it at the cinema this time around. I was probably a bit too young when it first came out. But I saw it when it came out on video. And that film, I think, really changed my life.
0: And although it's not cinema, we should probably mention that David Lynch is back this year as well with the new series of Twin Peaks, which obviously is incredibly exciting. Anything David Lynch does is exciting.
1: Yes. Yeah. Although not as exciting as, as Blue other. I mean, I think he's one of those directors that made... A bunch of brilliant films, and I'd include June in there as well. A lot of people wouldn't, um, and and then gradually it, the magic seemed to fade away.
0: Oh, what well, I really like—well, Mulholland Drive, which was I think 2001. Sight Re- and sound recently, their poll voted out the best film of the century so far, I believe, wasn't it?
1: Dark film. You yeah. have
0: dark tastes. I, I love. I do love David Lynch's films. You know, he's genuinely a genius of cinema. I yeah, think. I you agree. Know there's not many people like David Lynch around or have ever been around but what have you seen more recently
1: well you know talking about David Lynch the next director that always puts me in mind was M. Night Shy uh, and I recently saw the most recent film I've seen at the cinema was Split which I really enjoyed I'm a big M. Night Shy fan I should add
0: yeah I like him as a director as well when the film started he's got a really kind of sure hand and you just it's kind of nice to just be watching one of his films again and although i didn't quite like where the film ended up. It it does keep you guessing, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. But also, wasn't it a brilliant acting performance?
0: From James McAvoy, yeah, Just really incredible. great, really great. And uh, what did you think about the Baftas on Sunday?
1: Haven't seen them. I've been too busy. Been working on the pitch. Okay. I'm I'm ashamed to say.
0: So, um, have can you, you fill seen... me in? Uh, yes, I was there. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, there was me. I was chatting with all the stars. I wasn't chatting with any other stars. But um, La La Land won best picture, best director. Musical. Best. I'll never actress. see it. Just really?
1: Uh, it's a blind spot for me. Don't watch musicals. It's
0: kind of the musical for people who don't like musicals, so. Really? Yeah.
1: Didn't they say that about that ABBA one that I'll never watch? Mamma well? Mia.
0: No, that definitely was not the musical for people who don't like musicals. <laughs> that um, Bizarrely, at Mamma Mia, I th- my dad is a massive film fan and. Um, I don't think I could get him to see La La Land, but he went to see Mamma Mia twice. But uh, yeah, the BAFTAs, uh, Emma Stone won Best Actress, uh, Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea won Best Actor. Uh, I think really there were a couple sense. of surprises, um, Dev Patel winning Best Supporting Actor for Lion. But um, looking forward ahead to the Oscars, it does look like La La Land is the film to beat, and I'm not sure any film can do it. Maybe Moonlight. Really? Have mm. you seen Moonlight?
1: No, really want
0: to. Moonlight is out this Friday. Um, My favourite film of probably the last 18 months. Really beautiful, moving, really powerful film. And I think it's the only film that might pip La La Land, but it's looking unlikely. So tell us a little bit about your role as Chief Client Officer at Zenith. (laughs) Um,
1: uh, It doesn't have as as much to do with movies as I'd probably like. So one of the big perks, I guess, of shifting from the UK uh, agency into a global role is uh, the opportunity to watch films on flights. But unfortunately for me, most of my travel is short haul at the moment, so um, I'm not I'm not able to catch up on those films that you somehow managed to see you've missed at the cinema. Uh, you get the second chance to pick up on, on flights. It's good fun. Uh, one of the nice things about it is getting to work, work on a wide range of clients, lots of different sectors, meet lots of different people, try and understand lots of different business challenges. And uh, I also get to do a lot of new business, which is great fun as well.
0: So going back a bit, uh, we obviously touched on all the, uh, quite a few of the roles you've done in media. How did you start a career in media?
1: Mm, that's not easy to answer. I'd, I've no idea, really. Um, I think I did, a, I did a degree which had absolutely no vocational use whatsoever in literature and philosophy. Um, I did a module in Hollywood and its genres. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, I really like film and I like movies. Um, I'm really interested in culture and media more widely, although I didn't really understand the advertising side of media at all at that stage. And it just so happened that I had a friend um, who'd got into media sales and another friend who'd got into journalism. And just talking to the two of them, I thought, maybe there's something here. So I answered, This is really old terminology, but I answered a classified ad in the back of The Guardian, rang them up, um, and somebody asked me to sell uh, a paper cup that they wanted me to imagine on my head, and I failed that interview. Uh, (laughs) But eventually, I I did get in somewhere else at Haymarket,
0: actually. Have you used that interview technique in any of your subsequent interviews? I
1: I think it was like a form of torture, really, especially for someone who's studied philosophy. It's a really, really hard question to answer
0: you've been in the media a while now obviously what do you think are the biggest changes you've seen between starting in the industry and now
1: uh, definitely the rise of the machines um, I think not uh, in a terminator style <laughs> thankfully not yet well, not, not that we've seen so far um, I think you know particularly here at this agency we're investing hand over fist and starting to produce really strong results for clients um, using machine learning so using some really advanced data oriented Uh, techniques and um, it's producing really strong results they are produced more efficiently than human beings can but what we're finding is the oversight and and human influence over the top and our ability to edit and redirect uh, and optimize for clients is really important but um, our ability to do things quicker and better and more effectively is really accelerating away now It's, it's really quite extraordinary.
0: If there was one thing you could change about the industry uh, what would it be, and why?
1: I'd like to get some time back. <laughs> I guess. I think. I think we all thought that technology would would create um, a lot more time, uh, you know, for leisure. That's what all the uh, well, that's what a lot of science fiction seems to be suggesting, in, in the build up to where we are now, um, which is of, of course changing all the time and changing more and more quickly. Uh, but I think we all find that we can just be busier. Um, like literally every waking second you can be productive or distracted by things that I mean you don't get enough time to spend perhaps on the really val- most valuable things like family time.
0: We touched on your love of cinema and you are a huge cinema advocate and fan. Um, what is it you like about going to the cinema?
1: Oh, that's a that's big, a big quest question. A big that's quest, a big question. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll probably start with some clichés and I'll make it really personal. So the cliché <laughs> view is... It's it's where you go to see dreams realised, right? Or nightmares. Um, it's it's a it's like an alternative reality. Uh, it's a virtual and submersive experience, and uh, it's just an amazing way. Particularly when you know, like now, a lot of the news that we're seeing around us is confusing. It's upsetting. Um, it's just a, an amazing form of escape. But it's much more than that as well, because. I think one of cinema's big, uh, largely unspoken uh, benefits is a a societal and cultural one. Cinema is, uh, I'll use another cliche phrase, you know, it's a dream factory. Um, It's a massive, massive influencer of culture, society, what we talk about as human beings and interact over every day. It influences fashion, it influences politics, it influences and affects the way that we talk to each other and the language that we use its influence is much bigger than we generally generally give it credit for.
0: In terms of advertising and the role of cinema, uh, what r- role do you think cinema has to play on AV campaigns?
1: Let's do it another way, and we'll come back to that, Tom, which is, I think, one of the massive things that cinema influences for us in our industry is advertising. You know, whenever I talk to creatives, uh, I, I think they are like sponges with cinema, and, and it's one of the... Really, bit. I haven't listened to your podcast. Um, you had Miles from Adam and Eve in, but I suspect that he would have said, if he was honest, I think he's a really honest guy when I've heard him speak, that cinema is one of those things that really you know, fires uh, advertising creatives, creativity. And you see it reflected a lot in, in particularly their audiovisual campaigns. No, you're it's right.
0: Actually, Miles, it was November's podcast, so please go back and listen, anyone who is listening now. Yeah, he did say that they talk about planning their, cam- their um, campaigns. When they talk about it, it's about getting it on the big screen. That's where their goal is, because obviously that's where you can talk to the most people and um, you can really see the impact of what it is they're doing. Yeah. Obviously, trying to make a group of people laugh is very different from trying to make an individual laugh at home. So why does cinema work well on AB campaigns?
1: Well, I mean, it's 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 all those reasons that we experience when we go to the cinema, which is you have much fewer distractions than you would do um, when you're consuming any other medium. Um, you're seeing it on a big screen, although I have to say that is now it's really interesting how TV is competing and blurring the lines between the cinematic experience and the home televisual experience, which is becoming increasingly cinematic. But I think you're right. It's that social reinforcement. You know, when I think about some of the great films that I've seen um, at the cinema, uh, there you, you get this kind of X factor, this additional factor by viewing it as a collective. I think about, you know, the film Seven, which I saw at the cinema, and I remember the reaction, the kind of. Very very quick ripple around the audience that you get as people reacting to some very surprising and disturbing things. I think
0: we can spoil that one. It's been 20 years. So (laughs) so the bit at the very end where they're about to open the box, I remember seeing that at the cinema as well, and people realising in unison exactly what had happened. Yeah. What an what an incredible moment that is. You're right. It's magnified. Scream
1: 2, another one. So Scream 2. People don't talk about the Scream films as much as they probably should do. They're incredibly influential films that really changed the horror genre. And um, Scream 2, I remember having to look away from the screen because what was happening was so disgusting and grim. Although, in fact, it wasn't really happening. It was, you know, being manipulated by by the director. And I remember he he pulled off a really neat trick that I've seen done in another great film, bringing it back to David Lynch, Wild at Heart, yeah. where they make you look away. And they know when you're going to look back, when you look back, that's when the really horrible thing's happening.
0: Talking about your career more broadly, what is it that um, attracted you to a career in media? And what is it you still love about working in media? Yeah,
1: well, I, think, I think the reason I'm still in it and really passionate about it is it, it does a number of things. One, we're lucky enough to work in a sector that means that we're closely attached to culture um, and popular culture and how that's changing and evolving. And on the agency side of things, We invest a great deal of time and effort and money in researching and understanding audiences and how they're interacting with culture, um, how they influence each other. And uh, then obviously back from a brand's perspective, what advertisers need to know and do to try and participate in that or access it in some way. So a really big area for us, uh, I mentioned data and technology is a really big investment area, research and understanding, but also content now. So increasingly as businesses, uh, we're building out content capabilities, forming partnerships with really established content generators, the media owners in many cases, um, but also uh, recruiting people that are capable of generating creative and you know, um, conducting content audits on behalf of clients and devising content strategies as well.
0: One of the well-known things Zenith do in the media industry is the Zenith OptiMedia ad forecast and forecast for um, the coming year and beyond. There's a lot of uncertainty around in the uh, industry at the moment with such Brexit and current Donald Trump uh, catastrophe that's unfolding in the US. Uh, How do you think the media industry will be affected by this uncertainty, if at all? Hmm, Do you see opportunities?
1: Well, there's always opportunity because media media tends to move with culture, but it's challenged in other ways as well. Um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, with uncertainty, um, yeah, often there is there is a kind of choking effect on, on advertising spend. Um, I think what we're seeing is, is, is really complex this time because social media is such an active part of that, that you know, the rise of populism and, uh, you know, it's... It seems to have become the primary means for presidential communication, and (laughs) that's insane, isn't it? I'm not sure how Twitter must feel about that. I mean, it's it's a it's a curse and a benefit all at the same time, I guess. But you know, it's really strange seeing social media setting uh, so much of the political and societal agenda at the moment. Whether it means to or not, it's having this really big impact. Um, And that's everything from, um, you know, the guy right at the centre of the storm tweeting things out in the middle of the night and setting the news agenda for the the day and the rest of the week, uh, right the way through to what's happening with fake news at the moment.
0: Talking specifically about uh, the advertising industry, what trends do you see developing over the next few years?
1: There are lots at play at the moment. Um, I think think we are very, very interested in what's happening around uh, technology. Uh, and techno- you know, technological enablers. Uh, wearables continue to be really interesting for us. Um, I think increasingly they'll become another form of platform for media advertising. But in, in the meantime, as data generators and as uh, you know, means for people to conveniently monitor their health, their performance, um, that, that's generating really interesting insights for us. Um, you know, there are so many trends at uh, I mean the, the content explosion is, a, is another really interesting thing, I think we've been very optimistic about content explosion um, but one of the downsides that goes with it as well is, is, you know, we're back to this issue of clutter and cut through um, how do you help clients find and navigate a way for their brand communication to really land and have an impact and have a resonance and I think fortunately for you guys cinema is a really important you know relatively controlled space where we know we can reach and engage the audience they're going to be less distracted and you're going to have a really powerful audio visual moment with them
0: we'll talk a bit more about film because um that's obviously my specialist topic what films are you most looking forward to in 2017 the
1: greatest film ever made my view can i have a guess put it out there go on then
0: Alien. No, Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Blade right, Runner. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the If two. you'd asked my wife, I should have said it, Alien. It was one of those two, yeah. Um,
1: although, you know, I, I was lucky enough to work on 20th Century Fox when I, w- when I was at Visium. We've got E1 here, which is a real, you know, which is And E1 had an incredible us. year last year. Yeah, and they, they're just going from strength to strength. Um, but when I worked on, on Fox, I was lucky enough to work on Prometheus uh, and the return of the Alien franchise. And I have to say, you know, I I think that is a brilliant film. It has one of the best cinematic performances that I've seen in recent years by Michael Fassbender, who I think is an amazing actor. Um, and I thought the way the marketing promotions um, ran were phenomenal.
0: It did have some incredible marketing: the viral videos, the TED talk from Guy Pierce's uh, Peter Wayland. Amazing. I, loved,
1: I, I still think that's the, the best example of movie marketing I've ever seen. Mm. We had our own small part in it, and we won. We won some awards for our live tweet takeover with Channel Four. But the Peter Wayland stuff, the TED talk, I, I still think that's the best, the best stunt I've ever seen in the build-up to a movie.
0: I'm actually intrigued to see what we've got coming up over the next few months before the release of Alien Covenant, because um, Ridley Scott appears to be going back to basics and just trying to scare the hell out of us with this one. Obviously, Prometheus dealt with some really big themes, yeah. um, what it means to be human. Um, but this one just seems to be a straight-up sci-fi horror, and for me, that's very exciting because obviously the, the xenomorphine alien is still the most scary creation in the history of cinema, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's carrying a lot of Freudian issues, yes. isn't it? Let's yes. not go there.
0: And um, you mentioned Blade Runner 2049, which I think when they announced it was being made, I was... Apprehensive. I Did you a, cringe? Was there a, a, a bit little of you that just cringed a little bit inside? Because I'm, I'm with you. I think Blade Runner is one of the greatest films Don't of all it. time. Don't touch it. It's but a then,
1: massively influential film. I mean, it's, it's influenced things way beyond, way beyond the purview of, a, of, of the average film. You know, it's influenced architecture, all science fiction that's come after. I mean, it it, it looks stunning now. It's ab- almost
0: so, advertising as well. You know I mean? I think
1: it's definitely influenced advertising.
0: Um, the, and also there was there was a shot of Beijing very recently veiled in smog uh, and someone took a photo and it looked like it had come straight out of Blade Runner Yeah, uh, inc- incredible um, foresight the people who uh, made it have but again talking about the film which is out on the 6th of October they couldn't really have put together a better group of people to make it I mean it's again the stories written by Hampton Fancher who wrote Blade Runner um, Denny Villeneuve a
1: screenwriter,
0: uh, yeah, Hampton Fancher, who wrote okay. it, Blade I didn't Runner. know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and um, Denis Villeneuve who directed Arrival and Prisoners and Sicario and Enemy, which um, is a bit of a mind bender as well, like Blade Runner. Uh, I do think... you
1: understand the spider? No, uh, that's a bit of a spoiler, isn't it? Yeah, do you yeah. Know what the, do you
0: know what the spider? You know what... Enemy's been out a couple of years. I think we can spoil <laughs> that one as well. We're on the we're spoiling them all today. Um, Wild at Heart, Seven, Enemy. No, I didn't quite understand the spider, but it. Took me to dark places, and I appreciate <laughs> that. I appreciate yeah. that. But um, yeah, no, very excited about Blade Runner and Harrison Ford again, once again back. And did you see the teaser trailer?
1: I did, and I have to say, um the first thing that it got absolutely right was using uh, some of the original soundtrack
0: oh uh, absolutely when the vangelis synth it got me straight end. away because it start because the first part of the music starts and you're like okay it sounds like a standard synth score and then it goes up and i yeah. and like the vangelis synth and i was just like okay i'm in straight away and it looks incredible and
1: that, I mean, if, uh, do you know if they're using... Are they going to continue... I mean, is that just a trade? Are they going to continue to use the original soundtrack? I
0: would think so. I, I hope I they do. I hope they do. I don't think I've read anything about that, but I hope they do.
1: I'm a bit worried about Harrison Ford. Not just because he keeps nearly um, having plane crashes, but also because I thought he was really wooden in Star Wars and The Return. I, I just didn't... I, so I'm really worried because he's such a brilliant totemic presence in the original Blade Runner, I'm just a bit nervous. Is but he going to carry it off?
0: With someone like Denny Villeneuve involved, I'm just confident that he'll make the right decisions. I don't think he's made any wrong decisions yet in his career. And so, like, whatever Harrison Ford character Dekker turns out to be, I'm sure they'll um, do it justice and they'll make good choices. And I think Ryan Gosling is a great choice yeah. as the lead. The support, Gus, is great. Roger Deakins is shooting it, who will make it yeah. look incredible, I think. You could. I can't you wait. couldn't have chosen. I a better, you couldn't have chosen a better film to mention. And anything... how sleeps
1: until? Gosh,
0: it's sixth <laughs> of October, so probably about two hundred. Okay. Um, what else are you looking forward to?
1: I'm really looking forward to Ghost in the Shell. Oh, not... Although I'm, you know, a little bit hesitant about. I'm it I'm sensing as well. a theme here. Are you science grand. fiction? So yeah, <laughs>
0: um, dystopian yeah. science fiction.
1: I love dystopian science fiction, <laughs> the, which it, also gets me on to Logan as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. Which is out in, on the 1st of March, yeah. which yeah, it looks great as it well. It does
1: look good. And, I, and I, do you think that's going to complete the arc? Are we going to be able to leave Wolverine behind after this one? Well
0: there is talk that it is Hugh Jackman's last appearance as Wolverine, so okay. you must, it, it must have some sort of it's got to be satisfactory ending. Yeah, I'm not saying he's going to die, because I don't know. But there is the younger character in this one as well, which I'm assuming takes on the mantle of, of right. Wolverine. Right. I I've,
1: So I've read the, the fanboy comic, which is Mark Miller mark miller's the guy that wrote kick-ass
0: and kingsman
1: uh, yeah he's written a lot of really challenging um, comic books uh, many of which are now being converted into film
0: wanted as well yeah. wanted
1: brilliant absolutely brilliant i'm the, the original comic and, and not a bad film version of it um, is is it's just you know it's brilliant if you're into that kind of thing really seminal so really excited about that um, but I, I I I wonder how much they're carrying the original story through. I don't think it would be filmable. It's um, it's really really strong and gamey stuff. But the trailer that I that I saw recently, it looks like we're going to get an amazing performance out of Hugh Jackman. And Patrick, and Patrick as well, Stewart
0: as well, yeah, and it's it has been given a 15 cert by the BBFC, okay. so which I think they are dealing with more adult themes. Which, okay, yeah, which is a good All thing. All right, I'm excited again. Yeah, yeah, and then you mentioned Ghost in the Shell adaptation of the Japanese anime uh, from the early 90s. Yeah. Again looks great visually yeah. very Blade Runner I mean yeah. obviously it's hugely influenced by Blade Runner anyway but um, Scarlett
1: Johansson yeah, doing sci-fi
0: yeah, yeah. and um, directed by Rupert Sanders former ad director but also did is Snow. it? I didn't yeah. know that Snow White and the Huntsman yeah he did which again visually incredible not great story but he's working from a great story uh, on this one so hopefully um all the elements are there but uh, it looks great I'm very okay. excited about this one as well alright uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention on there? Uh I think with Ghost in
1: the Shell I mean, the slight hesitation on Ghost in the Shell is that, that for if you're into manga that was a really seminal sequence of, of uh, manga films um, but it does look really exciting and Scarlett Johansson I think has got a really good track record in sci-fi as well.
0: She makes good choices Was um, it Under the Skin? Yeah, Under the Skin, Her Now wasn't that, was that Jonathan Glazer? That was Jonathan Glazer So we're well. back on advertising again aren't we? Yeah, yeah. He was one, of the best, one of the best yeah. Sexy
1: Beast, great film
0: Yep, yeah. and Birth, very underrated as well um, but yeah, Ghost in the Shell's out on the 31st of March and Logan's out on the 1st of March. Okay, uh, what advice would you give to anyone starting in media today?
1: I think that the probably the best and only advice to give people coming into media at the moment is to stay curious uh, because there is so much change and there's going to continue to be so much change in terms of what we do. what What we have to be good at and what we have to be... Uh, you know able to master on behalf of our clients. You know, in, in, in the agency world, you're very much in between. So we have to try and understand as much as we can about your side of things on the media owner and content side. And we've got to understand as much as we can about our clients' business as well. Um, but our job is to try and manage that complexity and help, you know, guide where they invest, where they invest their budgets. And that is becoming more and more complicated. The machines and data are going to be our friends and help us get that right more often than not um but i you know i think we're just going to have to all continue to unlearn and relearn uh and stay curious
0: that is a great way to finish thank you for joining me this month grant it's a real pleasure uh, i'll be back next month please remember to subscribe to the podcast via itunes have a great month enjoy whatever you see on the big screen thanks very much